scratch and smooth. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. Well, it's taken three years in the making, but Daniel Liam Glynn's anticipated and crowdfunded concept album about the London underground is now available and is a veritable feast of creativity, delighting us with both classical and contemporary musical influences, mentally transporting us on a journey of discovery about our very selves as we travel to all corners of the capital. Channeling his neurological condition called synesthesia and assigning the colour of each underground line to a musical key signature, Daniel is indeed pushing boundaries in his exploration of music and communication. With some unexpected stops and indeed surprises along the way, changing stations is the ultimate tribute to the tube. SNS Online were there at the launch party of Changing Stations, not in London, but Manchester's student heaven, Affleck's Palace. Here we spoke to Daniel, the producer Katie Tavini, and others involved in the project. Okay, Daniel, you're a Manchester lad, but you're sending a musical love letter to the heart, if you like, of London life. What inspired you to explore the London underground in this way? Well, I think what inspired me was definitely moving from Manchester to London after university, really looking for things to inspire me for the next project. And um, I think what, really, what I really honed in on was the underground itself, the different colours, different journeys, different commuters on there as well. And I've always thought and had memories of things in colour. I've always wanted to, I've always written, I've always, things like memories, letters, words, numbers, shapes. And so I wanted to transfer that into a musical piece. That's something that I'd never done before and I don't think many people have actually studied. So tell us about uh, synesthesia. And this is something that you've had all your life. You connect colours, shapes, sounds, pretty well everything? 
Yeah, pretty much everything. What was quite funny is that it's usually everything but music, which is why I kind of wanted to do this project because I wanted to connect something to the music of it. It's not a lot of people I know can hear in colour, they can listen to a note and play it and, and visit, envisage a colour, but I couldn't do that. So this is kind of me assigning my own colour and putting my own stamp on that. I mean, obviously, the London Underground has been very established for the colours of the lines. Do their colours link up with what's in your head? They do, actually. This is one thing I thought at the start of it. It was only going to be successful if I could maybe relate to a lot of the people on the Underground. So t tell us about your musical training. My musical training began when I was about age six. I started to learn the piano. And then probably about the age of 14, back when we, me and Katie became good friends, I was doing classical singing, but... Very shortly after, I realised that I was not a performer. I just didn't really like to perform, so all of my classical knowledge I transferred over to composing and arranging, um, and it's why I just carried on with composition. It was just something that felt more natural to me. I mean, all your classical training seems to come into the fore with this. There's so many different types of styles. You know, it's, it's full of such energy. When, when did you actually start to see it as, as a viable project? Possibly about a couple of years later when I first thought about doing the project. Originally, it was going to be something such on a, on a smaller scale. Um, but then, I think it was about yeah, three or so years ago when I really wanted to delve more into the synthesia side of it, more into the actual commuters speaking to them and getting their, their thoughts and feelings on it and that transferred then onto the actual composition itself. Brings me home. It's the ride from the gym, exhausted but happy. Endorphins taking me back so I can relax. just in time. It's busy but moving, always moving, so many people but good. You've obviously done a lot of research for this and I presume you've been in London recording lots of sounds as well? Funny, about 85% I think was actually recorded up in Manchester. But what we did do was go down to London quite a lot to record background noise and that's actually featured all the way through the record. As well, me and Katie have done quite a few trips there, taking a lot of pictures, a lot of imagery, a lot of art artwork as well that went into it. Um, so it's quite, it is a little bit, you know, with it being recorded in Manchester but at the same time, having them sounds on the underground really makes you feel that it is there and it has been recorded there too. And all the various uh, quotes from people, I mean, I know this was crowdfunded. Presumably these are Londoners with their own thoughts about the capital. Yeah, definitely. I think I really wanted to get a, a good like, plethora of people who are different beginners. There's people there who had just moved there, people who had been there five years, people who were born and bred there as well. Because London's such a multicultural society, I didn't want to just want to get people who are just from London or, you know, I didn't want to pigeonhole that because you hear people's different stories, different views as well. As, I think that was really important to get the full array of people on there. Space. The space to take in the city and not only to be ruled by it, to sit with it. Your own little world. Hyper-scheduled daily life in the narrow views. 
wishes in your headphones and maybe reading a book. Just trying to make time go by as quickly as possible. Drone like beings wandering around looking into them. When? Digital device. So, Katie, when did you get involved in this? You're producing the album. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you that. <laughs> you should know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, told. Um, <laughs> I got involved probably about. So about three years ago, Dan approached me and pitched his idea to me, and we didn't really know where it was going to go or anything, so it could have just been just an album, a piano album, a classical piano album, but actually, <laughs> it's not anything like that. So it's quite been an interesting journey, but a long time in the making. It's a very cinematic listen to London. Central line. Do you think Londoners will relate to it? I mean, this Londoner did, so... Yeah, I hope so, because it kind of covers all aspects of the underground, so, like, the bits that you hate, the bits that you love, it gets you home, all that, but then the rubbish stuff that you always miss your stuff and yeah. all that. Well, and lonely London and all those quite profound things as well when, when you're alone in a city. So we're here in the basement of Athlex Palace watching some amazing visuals that have been done in London. And you just did them on your mobile phone, uh, covertly, <laughs> so you told me. Yes, I did. I looked very suspicious one day when I was in London, walking around, trying to pretend I was reading something, but actually I was filming. <laughs> so I put together an hour's worth of visuals for tonight. It's kind of background stuff. Yeah, well, people warm up and have a drink. And... Yeah, exactly. It's just something to look at if you're feeling a little bit bored, which you shouldn't be right now. <laughs> so we went down and spent a day in London and we rode every single tube line for quite a while. It was a long day, put it that way. Um, and I was taking some photos and getting some footage for the other side of the album and Dan was recording audio samples on his mobile phone. Because he was doing it on his mobile phone, people weren't scared of him, so everyone acted natural. So we've got some good background chatter on there. But each sample that you hear on the album corresponds with that tube line. So we didn't mix and match to what sounded best. We kind of put what should go where, if you know what I mean. Because you know somebody's going to write and say, well, I was listening to supposedly the Northern Line. It was actually the Hammersmith and Exactly, none of that, 100%, because I edited it all. And it was a long task, trust me. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the kickstarting campaign, because, I mean, that was, um, that was a very inspired way to, to get people involved and, and engaged in, in a project. Absolutely. Every single person that's pledged, like, we wouldn't be here today without them. I would have pledged, but I didn't know about it until recently. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll give you a ten of the album tonight. <laughs> a lot of people have been so supportive, and we could like it sounds dead cliche to say we couldn't be here without them, but we actually couldn't because me and Dan are struggling producer and composer pair, and this is a hobby for us. So it's, it's great when a hobby crosses over and something so sexy, but it's like it's it's a product. Now. It's a product, baby. Yeah, it's a product, and there's so many elements to the projects and so many places it could go it's really exciting to be part of it uh, yeah the world's your uh, oyster card basically isn't it if you keep going like this <laughs> can we use that tonight you can use that tonight thank you do you need credit for it of course <laughs> sweet <laughs> Scratch and sniff.
You're listening to SNS Online with me, Nick Randall, coming today from Manchester. And don't forget, if you want to comment on this or any other show, then please like our Facebook page, SNS Online, or Twitter, SNS Online, at Scratch and Tweet, or email us on snsonlineshow at gmail.com. All shows are free and downloadable on SoundCloud by searching there for, wait for it, wait for it, SNS Online. I hope you're taking all this down. Anyway, back to Affleck's Palace and the chat with promotions manager Joe Hilditch. Daniel contacted me, in fact, more or less a year to the day, uh, along with Katie, who's produced the album. And obviously my background's in PR, music PR, and they approached me with the idea for the album, the concept, Daniel's condition, um, and the whole kind of concept for this contemporary classical uh, What was your take when you heard about the whole idea? Well, for me, I could just see colour, London Underground, which I'm, I'm a, a map geek anyway, <laughs> so it's perfect for me. Daniel's enthusiasm and the whole concepts of the London Underground I just struck me as a project I'd want to take on. And I also run a music business degree, and I also thought it'd be a brilliant project for my students to work on. So they came up with marketing concepts, helped create the press release with my own business yeah, and be involved in the whole project, so it's perfect. So much of this is done with the love of uh, and, and resources of people doing it for free because they just think it's such a fantastic project. It was absolutely, it was something I was wanting to be involved in. It's been a year of my life kind of working with Daniel and it's been, I'd, we just wanted to work on it. Check that cool twang out on that piano. That's prepared piano, that is. Here's Katie with more details. So we recorded the prepared piano at Salford Uni. Thank you, Salford Uni. <laughs> so we actually put a lot of things to do with the London Underground inside of the piano. And so I've incorporated those into the visuals tonight just so that people can have a little bit of an insight into how the album was recorded because it's a bit of an unusual how interesting. When what we were actually watching there was the inside of the piano and like um, London Underground tickets being thrown in and uh, 50p's and yeah, various mobile phones and all sorts of stuff. And, and then how did, did you somehow record that? Yeah, so basically Prepare Piano, it kind of got famous through John Cage. Um, it's where you put things in the piano and either, as you play notes, it either mutes them a little bit or rattles, but it changes the actual sound of a piano. So as you're listening to the album, like in some parts it even sounds like a sitar but there's some very strange sounds in there and that will be the prepared piano from when like the oyster card is muting the strings or the packet of paracetamol is rattling against the strings so that's what's happening there so paracetamol very much Sunday morning after a club I think you would need that on the London Underground <laughs> Labrick Grove, Portobello, Westbourne Grove, All Saints Road, Rough Trade Records, Portobello Music, Guitar Repairs, Banjos, Obscure Albums, The Saints that One's discovering something for oneself. However directed, that discovery might be the market by sinners and saints, the righteous, Reprobate, Martin Amos, the tennis shorts, his favourite pub at three o'clock in the afternoon. Twelve hour sets by Moody Man. In makeshift raves by the side of railway arches. The girl you didn't marry. That one. So you're supporting Daniel tonight? Yes, I am. 
and you've heard of the album. What do you think of it? I think it's fantastic. I think um, the production value and um, the way the whole album flows from start to finish is just, you know, all credit to Dan for doing such a great job on the composition. Absolutely. And do you travel in the London Underground yourself? Obviously, you're from Manchester. (coughs) Yeah, definitely. And um, from the first track on Monday, it sort of does invoke those feelings about travelling on the underground and all those sort of ideas around sights and smells even that you get from listening to the track. So it's it's a fantastic album. And also, it's very melodic. It's a very nice album to listen to. It is. I was surprised when he was saying he was doing a (laughs) classical contemporary album that there were sort of drums and other sort of features to the the background of it. So, yeah, it it was great. Hello, sir. Hi. Who are you? Uh, I'm Nick, Dan's partner. Oh, right, Dan's partner. So, what do you think of it? You've been uh, plugging his stuff on Twitter, haven't you? Yes. I've been stalking everybody connected with (laughs) (laughs) So, what do you think about this? Have you been a bit of a London Underground widow for last year or so? Uh, In a good way? Do you know what? It was more before that that he was, like, experiencing everything with the underground and doing his research and everything. I've just been... It's the only time it's been where he's been like taking a lot more time with it he's just putting it all into practice and getting a good team around him as well yeah, and a good yeah. like people to work with that seems to be half the battle of one getting the, the people to support you wholeheartedly absolutely it was that maintaining like his full-time job as well and uh, so it's been really cool to watch him achieve things bit by bit you know he was just buzzing that he got the producer on board and, and, and the people that wanted to work with him and then the kickstarter and yeah. um, so every time it's been like a big goal so this just feels like a nice victory lap now it's all out there. <laughs> absolutely and Affleck's Palace what do you think of the album? Uh, I, I'm so shocked because he wouldn't let me listen to anything really? Nope. so when did you first hear it? But I heard it on release day really? Yeah. my god I heard it before you <laughs> This is That's it. not right. The people got there. No, I, I really enjoyed that though because yeah. I could have been like the biggest cynic, even though I'm not. Yeah. I was like had every belief that it was going to be fantastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I didn't know what to expect at all. So listening to it for the first time in full, after hearing like a few tiny snippets, was um, just an unbelievable. You must be very proud of him. Uh, yeah, proud and yeah, just I'm his biggest fan right now. You didn't give him any tips like, well, you could, like, you know, tweak it a little bit. I think that's probably what he was avoiding. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Cheers. Have a good evening. Thank you very much. Um, I'm Luke. I'm Dan's friend. I'm Lee. I'm Dan's friend as well. Lovely. So, what do you think of the album? Um, Really atmospheric. I really enjoy it. Uh, He's done a really good job with the sound effects and snippets and and the kind of voice recordings uh, to... Really make you kind of feel like you're on that journey while you listen to it. I'm Jessica Nash. I've helped Joe Hilditch with doing the PR for the album launch. Um, I think it's really good. It's very interesting. It's a different sort of style that most people would be into, but it's quite interesting with the background behind it. My name's Ron Atkinson, and I um, teach on a music business course at the School of Sound Recording. Uh, I lived in London for ten years, so I'll probably have a memory. That'll, uh, that'll come out of listening to this. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, we've known Dan for a, uh, a long time. And, uh, Are you Dan's, his parents? Uh, Dan's no, family no. as well. No, we're, we're friends of his parents, we're but, we've, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. but we've known... We've known maybe 10 years. 10 years, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so have you heard the album yet? Yes, we have. And what do you think of it? Brilliant. I think it really captures the essence of the London Underground. It's really good. So, endorsement all around for changing stations. Well, the evening was completed with a Q&A and some video clips with Daniel and Katie taking centre stage. Here to tell us all about this incredible achievement that I think everybody in this room is so proud of. Please put your hands together and go mental for the masterminding composer behind changing stations, Daniel Liam Flynn and producer Katie Tavini. Well, the party continued in earnest afterwards in celebration of changing stations. Fast-forwarding to the next day, I caught up with Daniel again, rather appropriately in Salford's media city, the Blue Peter Garden to be exact, to find out how he was feeling after his first ever album launch. Brilliant. It was so much more than I ever expected. The few days running up to it, I was thinking, why am I doing this? I just want to cancel the whole thing. 
I'm not a good public speaker. What about if no one turns up or the music doesn't work? And I just think, as, a, as the night went on, I just thought, if something goes wrong, then we'll just laugh at it. We'll get it fixed. People are there who are there because they want to be there. They pledged or they want to listen. They want to know more about it. They want to buy it. So that really relaxed me to know that I was amongst such great company. Um, and I just, I just feel relieved now that it went really well and it was, it was received well as well. Now, the Tube has such a history, and we all have very powerful, important memories, getting home late, chatting to strangers, the oppressive commute, drinking, getting lost, finding places, feeling lonely, feeling euphoric, stolen kisses, etc. Uh, well, you were trying to put all this together, because I, I, it seems to evoke every single emotion when I listen to the album, which, which is fantastic, by the way. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> there was one day, I remember I had the day off work, and I just thought to myself, I, I really just want to go on every single line today and just spend about 20 minutes on each line just to suss out the general feeling, the type of commuter, and the different places that it travelled as well, even down to the general vibe, even smells as well. Everything just felt so different, and that really helped with part of the research, listening to people talk. So let's talk about crowdfunding, which is this massive modern phenomenon where people get to raise funds in a spirit of community so everybody can be involved to get a professional project um, out there. Yeah, it's something that only has been quite, it's quite, quite recent with me. I mean, I've, I've heard of crowdfunding a few years ago, but it wasn't something that I didn't think I would go down. It wasn't an avenue I thought I would up until the project became a lot bigger than I expected. Um, it was again Katie that suggested it, and then she came up with so many good ideas that we could do with a reward system where people pledge a certain amount, they get different things back, CDs, T-shirts, vinyls, um, and it's such a good avenue to go down, especially for people uh, who are wanting to create a massive project and don't have the funding behind it. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, initially, was it because you thought your idea was so unique and perhaps you liked to work on your own that you were initially shying away from that? You just wanted to keep it all by yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was more of a kind of, it was a confidence. It was a, a pride thing where I just thought, you know, I wanted to do this. I don't want to bug people. I don't want to, you know, it's not, it's not charity. It wasn't something that's really that important. It can come across a bit self-absorbed, but at the same time, if you m include everyone and make everyone feel very welcome and kind of making the project for them as well so they can be involved and if anything I think it's inspired a lot more people than it has than I originally hoped it would do. And apparently some of the voices on the album are from people who uh, who committed funds to the project. Yes, that was, that was such a lovely of them, people that really wanted and they believed in the concept and believed in the project so much and they, they donated and they provided voiceovers. It's just, it's been such, you know, it's, it's my name on the album but so many, so many people have been involved in it. Give me some of your highlights, you know, things that are from the album that uh, really work for you, any particular tracks or moments from tracks. I think the ones that have been quite heavily produced, more than, you know, the tracks that started off and have ended up being so different to what they originally were crafted, and they're the ones that stand out, ones like Loop. as well. Uh, they are uh, the Circle and the Northern Line tracks. Um, track 10 as well, the Victoria Line, that's one I want, really wanted to be so busy and rickety and just out of sync, um, which is what I felt like the Victoria Line, travelling on that line uh, was like, so they're proper standout tracks. But then even the more relaxed vibes from Waterloo City, uh, Monday as well, it's, that's been received so well, which was the first piece released. And, and that's going to be released as another single, yeah? Yeah, that, that was the first the first one that was released. Monday, I thought, was very Philip Glass-inspired. Busy commuters like ants, you know, the beginning of a week, the piano implying battle-weary commuters, but also a sense of hope and energy. You know, what does this brand new week um, have in store for me? And will we be changed at the end of it? Were you trying to sort of encompass all that emotion? Yes, it's a very sombre affair, isn't it? It's, I wanted to create a sense of people, you know, in bereavement 
you know, their morning, the end of the weekend, and the Philip Reeve bereavement is it? Yeah, yeah, the Philip Glass. That is, oh god, that's such a compliment. That is something that was in you know the forefront of my mind, and but the, I've wanted to create a sense of of depression, but a sense of movement, and it's just kind of people who are just on the underground, just just getting on with it. But you can sense that atmosphere, sense that vibe on a Monday morning. Diameter, which is about the central line, a track I felt that gains momentum. And I love some of the quotes. There's one which I remember. To me, the central line feels a bit like a rocket cruising through London. It's exciting because it will take you somewhere cool like East London, which made me laugh because uh, the guy in question's obviously never been to Beckton. <laughs> definitely. I think the guy, Scott Elliott, he definitely had a lot of sarcasm in that piece. I think when it comes down to East London, he knows it's somewhere cool. You know, oh, it certainly is cool, but yeah. Beckton is the biggest turnoff on the A13. Now we come to one of my favourite tracks, Loop. Haunting, isolating, unsettling start, and then it, it just kicks into this beautiful piano melody that just you just want to eat it up because it evokes something so joyous. That's a standout one for me as well. It was one that came quite early and I knew that I wanted that to be quite simplistic with the circle line, kind of paying homage to the shape of the circle line. You know, the circle is the most simplistic shape. It's, it's easy, it goes straight round and round. And it's also a, quite a protective thing, a circle yeah. line. You could look at it like that. Yeah, and it's, it's the only line I think that actually cuts through every other route of any other line on the system. So that's why I wanted to hone in on the circular fifths idea, which is a music theory structure of you know moving from, say, in this case, C major to G major to D major, moving in, in fifths each way, so in, in effect, cutting through different colours on the underground. The Waltz of Lethargy is my favourite title track yeah. on the theme, the district line. The district line. Elegant, civilised, slow, stately. The entrance to the real beauty of London. I get on at Stamford Brook, Ravenscourt Park. Doesn't the track beautifully evoke that? You know, commuters who have their souls chipped away a little on their daily commutes. But uh, there's also this vibe of we're dipping into their their thought processes. Uh, you know, uh, we're randomly dipping into what they're feeling as they're travelling. It's a very apathetic piece that everyone you know who is talking on it. Basically, it's a good track that I think people enjoyed mo having a good moan about it because to me the, the district line was just full of delays, pe miserable people, just have such a slow a slow travelling moment um, to, to listen to people's thoughts and feel, almost like they're talking to themselves in their head and I think the way um, the guy Tom, the way he mixed um, that, that piece which is great because you can hear the voiceovers coming in and out, dipping in and out, the volumes going up and down. So it's just like a, th a thought process for six minutes. It's the longest piece on the album just yes. because the District Lions there has the most amount of stations. So I wanted, wanted to, you know, showcase that with how long the pieces were against how long, how many stations the line had. To Not beaten down by it. 
scheduled daily life in the narrowness of habit and work locations. Your headphones and maybe reading a book. Just trying to make the time go by as quickly as possible. Drone like beings wandering around looking into them. When? Digital devices. Somewhere. As if some great line to change. Secret or insight. Oxymoron, um, I felt, was again, you know, uh, colours and shapes of people blurring in and out of existence, but it almost slowing down at the same time and perhaps a focus on one particular person. So it was impersonal, but very personal at the same time. With the voiceover with that one, we wanted to make it out as if they were actually working at the station itself. It, there's, there's no words, there's no opinion, it is just the station's being read out. And I wanted it to, with it being a kind of a silver grey colour on the Jubilee line, a lot of people said to me, it's the one line that they liked, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And I kind of, I kind of thought maybe it's... That's life, that is. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a harsh statement. You know, I mean, it does go to the O2, that's quite an exciting, um, exciting place to go, but in a way... I use it every day. <laughs> yeah, I just thought, I thought the word oxymoron was great, because I just thought something that's pretty and clean, it's got brand new, it's not brand new anymore, but the, the glass walls, I think that's quite futuristic with them, but at the same time, with it not going anywhere, I wanted to create a piece that was very pretty, on the surface, but then didn't really go anywhere. And it, that piece doesn't, it kind of builds up and then stops again, builds up and stops, so. debut, I mean, I, as I said, I loved all, all the tracks. I found the debut very eerie start, early foggy morning, London waking up, um, that sort of vibe. With the Metropolitan Line, I remember researching that because that was the one line I was stuck with for ideas. I didn't really travel out. It's probably the, the, tr the line I've travelled least on. So for inspiration for that record was a lot of research into the Metropolitan Line being the first one that actually was made. It's the first one, so I wanted to create an eerie vibe for showcasing how old the actual line is. And perhaps sort of uh, evoking the, the spirits of people who are dead and gone but were travelling years ago. Yeah. The, in 18 twiddly too. Yes, <laughs> in the late 1800s. I yeah. think that, that was in the forefront of my mind with that. And the voiceover, uh, the, the girl Olivia who, who spoke on that talking about just about how old it was, the, the whole cut and cover, which is, you know, just a subsurface route, just talking about the actual Metropolitan Line itself rather than uh, opinions on it. And kind of it's the, it's the fastest line on it. Um, it. It goes from such small speeds to really fast speeds. So the, the change in tempo was, was kind of as to what was why I did that in that piece. We get to Route C now, a more negative view of a tube regarding some of the voiceovers. Oxford Circus, just awful! Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. It's, that's the one line I always felt was so rickety and busy. Even though it was quite a new line, the Victoria line, it always felt like it was one of the oldest. It was, 
uncomfortable, it was hot, it was always busy, it was so loud as well as, as the, the trams were running in and rolling. Tubes, tubes. I know you were in Manchester. <laughs> yep, tubes. Did I say trams? There? You said trams oh, a few trams. times. Bless. Yes, tubes. That's, that's the monkey. That's, that, that's the sequel. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was one. That was completely a red herring on the whole, on the whole album. With it being in a different, it's in five four, so it's a very uncomfortable time signature. It, the key's very, it's got a lot of atonalism in it. It's not really a, an assigned key that it's loosely in B flat major. Um, so it's, I wanted to create a kind of uncomfortable atmosphere yeah. for the listener. But, but that's what I love about it, about jarringness. I mean, I, I it was evoking sort of, sort of stylized continental animation, like the very sort of French, like animated silhouette shapes of trains and people zooming in and out very yeah. dramatically. It would make a great video. Yes, that was, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of Katie's, the producer, Katie. It's her, her I think it's her favorite track on there. Um, and it's showcasing every different style of the album you know, people can hone in on on that or something that's more tranquil. If you know the, the filmic, the, the cinematic comments, I think um, mean a lot because it, it, it kind of could showcase what's next for the project. Oxford Circus is just awful. Scratch and sniff. Uh, we get to abode now, a beautiful piano. evolves into a, a, a beating heart of commuter life, if you like. It almost felt like a clock, a time forever passing, life forever passing, commuters forever moving. Brings me home. Yeah, that is that's one where Scott Elliott is doing the voiceover for, and it was a really personal one for me because I used to live on the Northern Line. That's when I was right. down there. So the Misery Line. Yes, the Misery <laughs> Line. I never understood that. Misery, I, I've lo- I love the Northern Line. It gets a bad rap. Um, but yeah, to me, that one with black being such a strong colour, I really wanted to, to, to do my favourite key signature, D major. I really wanted to, to compose that piece in that. And it means a lot to me because that, the the main melody from that I actually composed when I was 18 in 2005. Wow, a while ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago now. So yeah, that piece to me, I wanted it to be quite strong, but at the same time wanting it to create a sense of tension, uh, anticipation, excitement as well. We get to Melancholy now, which is probably the most serious track, dealing with the events of the 7th of July 2005. Very detailed and moving first-hand account of what happened that day when the tube was bombed. Who did you speak to to get such detail, and and was that voice the actual person who was in the train? It was, it was. It was a gentleman called David Cousins. I I approached him last year after doing some research, because I just, I felt like, with a, a subject of the London Underground. I won't be able to do it justice if I didn't explain and delve into every event of it. And I think that was one of the, unfortunately, one of the poignant moments of the Underground's history. Um, but I wanted to speak to someone who was affected on that day but wasn't a direct victim or you know, someone who, it would come across as me maybe exploiting um, the day itself. So, but I, I really wanted to touch on it. So I, f- I found a video online of him of the actual day he actually recorded the tram that was behind the one that was affected as everyone was being um, kind of ushered off after a couple of hours of being underground and they were the last to be, to be rescued. 
so yeah it was it was him generally it was his him talking I asked him to just to record himself a couple of minutes talking about the events of the day and I think it, it fitted and it, it went really well with the music very brave of him I mean possibly quite cathartic I would have thought after yeah. all this years yeah I think he said he's, he's done a lot of work a lot of interviews um, he sold his not sold his footage but he's, he's given his footage away and um, for people who are studying it for universities I think that's what he said and yeah. um, so for him to, to allow me a couple of minutes of his time to interview was, was brilliant and like you said it's quite quite brave of him to talk about after all these years too. Morning of the 7th of July 2005, I boarded a train from Cockfosters heading towards Holborn. I was running later than usual as I stayed up into the small hours helping my friend fix his computer. I used to meet a friend and colleague every morning at Turnpike Lane and we found that the easiest way of doing this was to always be on the first carriage. I Meaning she only had one place to scan as the trains came into her station. As a creature of habit, I always took the eight o'clock train, but on this morning I was running 10 minutes behind schedule. Slightly annoyed at myself, I sent my friend a text to let her know not to wait for me. And as a result, I got on somewhere in the middle. My friend received my message and went on ahead. As I was tired, I skim read the free newspaper and fell asleep. Later, I was woken by a large jolt of what felt like a shockwave passing through the train as it came to a standstill. Suddenly, the lights of the train went out and we were plunged into darkness. People were largely silent, although the old person did try and check that the people around them were okay. It was the middle of a hot summer and the heat was stifling. After a while, some emergency lighting came on inside the tunnel. Not much, but enough to give people uh, the light to see each other. Spirit kicked in and slowly people began to talk. The heat was incredible and one girl started to have a panic attack. Some men tried to force open the carriage doors to get some air in but couldn't. In the end there was a small level of communication between the carriages as people realised the best thing they could do was open the small fence in between the carriages. This brought in a small breeze but also a faint smell of burning. It had been almost an hour and people started to speculate as to the cause of us being stuck. Had there been a power cut? Had the train had a problem? I replayed all the information in my head and it suddenly dawned me that no announcement had been made, which is unusual. I started to realise how vulnerable we were being so deep underground. Another hour passed and I was beginning to regret giving away my water as I was desperately hot and thirsty. I've been stuck for around two hours and I was beginning to get anxious. My mind was working overtime and no one knew where I was. Carriage doors opened and a member of staff walked through asking people to move towards the back of the train, explaining that we were going to be evacuated by driving backwards along the track. And that's what happened. We drove slowly all the way back to Arsenal, not a person to be seen on any of the station platforms in between, which made me realise that something bad must have happened. train had a sense that something important was happening so I decided to start filming as I had one of the first commercially available phones with a camera attached. Something that was quite state-of-the-art for 2005. When we were evacuated at Arsenal we were given silver blankets to wrap around us and a small team greeted us with all those bottles. With total chaos and people started to tell us immediately that there had been a bomb and we were directly behind the tubes that had been hit to be rescued. I later found out my friend who I met every day on the way to work had been on the tube that was bombed. Because of my text she got on the carriage six rather than carriage one, a decision which ultimately saved her life. Although she survived she was hospitalized due to smoke inhalation and later went on to have a breakdown that caused her marriage to fall apart. I'm glad that I lived to tell the tale and I still enjoy traveling on the tube every day to work. I'm sad for my friends lost and those that either died or were left with permanent scars, either physical or mental. This has been my story.
So it's now available on all digital platforms, vinyl as well. Yeah. Um, where do you see yourself taking this? Because I could foresee a massive audiovisual experience in a theatre with actors, lighting, um, you know, props and everything like that, and um, live narrators, etc. Could you foresee it being that big and touring the country? Well, I would love that. That would be an absolute dream. I think getting the out there, keep on doing a bit more promo, making sure that it's still around on social media. And hopefully if someone wants to, to pick it up, someone who's involved in the more cinema, more theatre, uh, work, if that's, you know, if they want to collaborate on something like that, that would be such a, a great opportunity. I think for now, keep with the music side of it, release a few more pieces, keep it afloat on social media and hopefully carry on with the, the remix project that we might be doing because uh -huh. Abode's being released at the end of November and hopefully at the start of next year we'll release a, a full album of, of his remixes, uh, Damien O'Brien. So I think for now let the kind of dust settle on this on this initial week but I would definitely, I don't want it to stop here, I'd love it to keep, to keep moving, keep moving forward. And as a full stop, for people to contact you, should they go to your website? Yeah, it's uh, www.changingstations.london. Um, you can email me directly there, you can buy the CD there, you can go to the link to actually listen to it on Spotify and iTunes. Um, yeah, learn more about the project on it, look at um, some pictures, some blurb, the, bl the blog that we had for, for the last year actually showcases how we made the album as well. So yeah, you can contact me via there. I think there should be a massive campaign to get everybody to do artwork and send it in, being inspired by both the album and the London Underground. Yes, yes, definitely. Send it across to me. If you, anyone has any ideas, I'd love to see people's perceptions of the music via their artwork. Well, we're in the Blue Peter Garden, so, uh, you know, we could have a Blue Peter competition. <laughs> Sevens and unders. Yes, that's such a good idea. Get a, get a nice Blue Peter badge for, for one of the winner, a gold one. Well, obviously, it only remains for me to give you your celebrity goodie bag and uh, uh, Katie's as well. And to thank you so much for joining Scratch and Sniff tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you.